beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Claw, that there are contentions, there are divisions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you, but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I baptized in mine own name, and I baptized also the household of Siphanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a man who was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. study continues in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10. The message of the cross must stand alone. Nothing in the way, nothing added, nothing subtracted. The message of the cross is foolishness to the perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Here is Dr. Mitchell. Good day, friends. We welcome you and we just trust that these times of Reveling in the Word of God in occupation with our Savior will be a source of real blessing to your heart. By the way, I want to thank you too, some of you dear friends, for writing me. I always appreciate, if it's just a wee word, you know, we fellows like to be encouraged in the ministry of the Word of God. It is not that we are discouraged by any means, but it always rejoices my heart when I hear of someone coming to know the Savior or they've come to assurance, or they're being built up in Christ, and they're reveling in our Lord. You see, we, we just, we want that fellowship with you. And I would appreciate it very much if you would, once in a while, drop me a wee line, will you? And some of you I haven't heard from, you've been listening in for years, you have never even dropped a card. Love to hear from you. Now we're studying 1 Corinthians, and we're in the first chapter, in our preceding lessons, we have been speaking of Paul's cause for thanksgiving concerning the grace that was bestowed upon them, and that grace was confirmed not by their experience or works. It was confirmed by the Lord. You see, Christ indeed confirmed that. And they, were, they lacked nothing, these Corinthians. They had all utterance, all knowledge, 
The Lord was so good to them. He gave them all the gifts of the Spirit. The tragedy was they were still carnal. And again, I say spiritual gifts are no sign of spirituality. Spirituality is the outflow of a heart that's in fellowship with the Savior. And a person can have all utterance and all knowledge and all the gifts of the Spirit and waiting for the coming of the Lord. Why, we would think that'd be a wonderful church, yes, and still be carnal, occupied with themselves and with their gifts instead of Christ. There was, a, they, they, there was an evidence that they had no yearning for the Lord himself. Then in verses 89, we were discussing the faithfulness of God. The purpose of God was unveiled in verse 8. God's going to present him to himself blameless in the day of Christ. And God's purpose is guaranteed by his faithfulness. I tell you, my friend, we can surely bank on the faithfulness of God. And what has he done it for? That we might have fellowship with him. He's called us into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, I want to say the ultimate purpose of it all is not only that we're going to stand before God, uh, conformed to the image of his Son, Jesus Christ, covered with his righteousness, etc. But it's for the purpose of intimate fellowship through eternity. Just think of living a life of unbroken fellowship with the eternal God face to face. My, what a prospect. And as John said, the epistle of John, when we see him, we should be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And as Paul could say, God has determined that we shall be conformed to the image of his Son, He's going to take these bodies and fashion them like unto his own glorious body. Stand in the presence of a holy living God, just like his son. I say again, what a prospect, what a hope. And yet he's left us down here to do a job. And I can revel in all the wonderful truths of the coming of the Lord and what we're going to have through eternity but I'm still down here in frailty and weakness. What for? To represent to the world something of the wonderful grace, love, and compassion of God for men and women. Oh, how glad I am that God loved men enough, even when they were still active in their sins, he loved them enough to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Think of God's precious son coming into the human race to die that you and I might be delivered from sin, from death, from hell. No wonder we can sing, hallelujah, what a savior. Now, let's go on from there. Come on, verses, and from verse 10 of chapter 1 through chapter 4, 21, right to the end of chapter 20, chapter 4, we find human wisdom in contrast with divine wisdom. In these passages, we're going to say the barrenness of human wisdom in contrast with the sufficiency of divine wisdom. And Paul, first of all, talks about the divisions of men. It's, it's a sad thing, you know, in verses 10 to 16. Let me read it. I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, 
that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Claw, that there are contentions, there are divisions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you, but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the household of Siphonus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Now, I, I think we're dealing here with a passage, verses 10 to 16 especially. Uh, at the Corinthian church, they were full of divisions. They were fighting among themselves. They were following men instead of Christ. They were not recognizing the headship of Christ, nor were they recognizing the unity of the body. You see, and Paul is greatly concerned about this. And by the way, it's so easy to follow men instead of Christ. We see it everywhere. There's no question about this. We see it everywhere. See it in Portland. Wherever you live, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Vancouver, B.C., wherever you go, even among evangelical believers, we see divisions. It's a sad picture today. I wonder sometimes what God thinks about it. Now, I'm a stickler for the Word of God. Don't misunderstand me. And I believe in separation from that which is evil. There's abundant scripture concerning this. Even among God's people, we're not to have fellowship with one who is blatantly out and sin or denying the wonderful truths of the Word of God. This is what's happening down at Corinth. As I said here a while ago, one can have all the gifts of the Spirit and yet be carnal. Spiritual gifts are no sign of spirituality. You can have all wisdom and all knowledge. You can have the whole business. And Paul could say in chapter 3, the first four verses, I'd like to write unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, unto babes. You're following men instead of Christ. I'll tell you, my friend, it's a, it's a very subtle thing. It's so easy to follow men. It's so easy to do that. Along comes a man with, with great gift, great personality, an outgoing personality. It's so easy to be attracted. And God possibly has given the man that gift to attract you to Christ. Is Christ preeminent? Do you believe Christ is sufficient for your daily need? Do I have to follow men? Well, you can say, well, Paul said, follow me. Yes, but he also finished the verse, follow me as I have followed the Lord. How did he follow the Lord? Philippians chapter 3 tells us, All the things that were gained to me in the past, I count them loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count everything but loss 
for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but refuse that I might win Christ and be found in Christ righteous. I count everything but lost to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death and so on. Quoting from Philippians chapter 3, it runs about from verse 6 down through verse 10. God give us men and women today who are in love with the Savior, not to be detracted from Christ. And if I'm talking to any of yours, if you are teaching Sunday school classes, children's classes, preachers, missionaries, whoever you are, our job is to attract people to the Savior, not to self. I know how subtle it is. And it's so easy to follow men, said of Christ. So what you have here at the Corinthian church, one fellow says, well, I'm a follower of Paul. Another one, I'm about Paulus. Paulus was a good preacher. I follow Peter. He walked with the Lord. He was one of the leaders of the 12. Another one says, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God I baptized none of you. But Crispus, Gaius, Stephanus, I don't know anybody else, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, let me just stop here for a few moments. You see, the message of the cross must stand alone. Verse 17, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross be made of none effect. Paul, as God's messenger, allows nothing to stand in the way of the gospel. The preaching of the cross. You see, the message of the cross stands alone. Anything added to the work of Calvary ruins the gospel. Now, Paul is not attacking any right such as water baptism. But what he's, what he's praying for, what he's speaking about, is that the person of Christ and his work must be the ground for fellowship, not some right, lest the cross of Christ be made of none effect. You remember when Paul went down to Thessalonica, quoting from Acts chapter 17, the third verse, he proved and alleged from the Scriptures that Messiah must die, be buried, and be raised again from the dead. Like 1 Corinthians 15, 3, when Paul says, The gospel which I declared unto you, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, was buried and raised again the third day according to the Scriptures, and then was seen. I want to make it very, very clear. Paul is not attacking any right. I believe in water baptism as a testimony to the world of my union with the Savior. But I'm not going to haggle and fight over some mode of baptism or even over baptism itself. The person of Christ must be the center, not some right. See, there were divisions of men tearing the body of Christ to pieces. We forgot two things. We forgot that Christ is the head of the church. 
the Savior of the body. We forget that we have, we're all made one in Christ. We belong to the same Savior. Now, I'm well aware someone's going to say, well, Mr. Mitchell, uh, what about compromise? Uh, Christ must be the center. I must not do anything that will make the cross of Christ of no effect. This is what Paul's talking about. Corinthian church were divided. I'm going to follow Peter. He was the Lord's apostle. I'm going to follow Paulus. Boy, he's a good preacher. I'm going to follow Paul. Paul is the great apostle to the Gentiles. In other words, I'm going to follow Christ. Here they have a division in the body of Christ, in the assembly, the local assembly. That's what he's talking about. May the Lord knit us people together in Christ. Oh, listen, Christian friend, we have a, a testimony to give to the world. Let us love one another. Well, I'm going to stand if I have to stand alone. Well and good, but you stand for the person and work of Christ. Let he be the center and attract people to him. And when you're in love with the Savior, you love his people with all their orneriness and failures and weaknesses and sometimes their ignorance. Lest the cross of Christ be made of non-effect. Nothing, you can't add anything to the work of Christ. All he wants you to do is to believe, to accept what he has done. And there's no merit in believing. There's no merit in believing truth. Then he goes on from verse 18. And here we deal with the power of the gospel, the power of the cross. It's an amazing, amazing scripture. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Let me look at this verse. Here you have two things. The foolishness, the cross is foolishness to those who perish. The cross is the power of God to those who believe. Men designate what they are according to their attitude to the cross of Christ and the work he accomplished there. You know, Celsus, the Roman historian, said, it's a terrible thing to scourge a Roman. That's a nefarious thing to scourge a Roman. But what shall we say of one crucified? Let not even his name be mentioned. As far as I know, there were no Romans crucified. They beheaded Paul. He was a Roman. They crucified Peter, according to tradition. They crucified our Savior. You see, crucifixion was reserved for the vilest of the vile. And the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. See, man says, man says, listen, I'm not so bad. If I do the best I can, what more do you want? What more is required? See. Yes? Man doesn't want to be redeemed through a work on the cross. Man doesn't want to be redeemed by a blood sacrifice. When John came crying, John the Baptist came crying, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He was talking about a sacrificial Savior, one who died to redeem men from sin. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. You know, 
When I became a Christian many years ago, I was working in a machine shop. And I began to witness for the Lord, and I spoke to a one who was a very good friend of mine. We worked together in Brandon, Manitoba. We worked together again in, in uh, Madison Hat, Alberta, and again in Calgary, Alberta. I happened to be in Canada at that time. I'm not a Canadian, but I happened to be up there at that time. Now, of course, I wanted to witness to my friend, and I spoke about Christ dying to put away our sin by the sacrifice of himself. And do you know what he said to me? He said, Mitchell, that's foolishness. By the way, he put some words in there that I'm not going to mention. He, he swore about it. It's foolishness. How can the blood of a Jew 1,900 years ago put away my sin? Whoever heard such Tommy rot? By the way, I was asked that in Taiwan by one of the headhunters who said to me, he had become a Christian. He said, what should I say to some of my people in my tribe? Why should I leave the gods of my forefathers and put my trust in a Jew, a man who lived many, many years ago and was killed, crucified by his people? He said, what should I say to him? Well, I said, now you're headhunters. You used to be headhunters. Um, you ever see anybody die? He just smiled. He said, yes. What happened when they died? We said, we buried them. Do you ever see one raised from the dead? Well, that's impossible. That's contrary to all human experience. But my friend, God raised Jesus from the dead to give you the certainty and the assurance that this one who died on a cross of shame was his son, and that that work to put away our sin by the sacrifice of himself satisfied the heart of a righteous God. Or as Paul could say in Romans 3, Christ vindicated the righteousness of God when he died on the cross for you and me. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. The cross says, I'm no good. The cross says, I'm helpless. You remember in Galatians 3.13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangeth on the tree. Oh, listen, friend. The cross is to them that perish foolishness. So I said to my friend, when I gave him the gospel, and he said it was nothing else but Tommy Rod and foolishness, and I said, Charlie, you know, you're just telling me you belong to those who perish. He just laughed at me. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. How in the world can I be redeemed from sin and fitted for the presence of God by somebody who died on a cross 1,900 years ago? May I remind you that in the last days, religious leaders are saying the same thing. In the book of Jude, the 11th verse, talking about these false teachers and religious leaders, he said, in the last days, this is what they're going to believe. They follow after Cain. What is Cain? Cain believed in salvation by works, which you have in Genesis chapter 4. He came along and, and offered to God the fruit of a cursed ground. The ground had been cursed for man's sake. And he offered the 
fruit of a cursed ground. How can a holy God accept the fruit of that which is cursed? And God said to him, Well, Cain, you don't want to do. There's a sacrifice at the door. You take it, and I'll accept you. He got mad at God and killed his brother Abel. Men today say, well, if I do the best I can, well, so what? So what? The wages of sin is death. And my friend, you may live a perfect life from here on, but what about your past sins? The wages of sin is death. Either you accept a Savior, God's provision for your salvation, or you're lost. I'm not saying it's God is telling you that. But the preaching of the cross is to the believer, the power of God. And I just pray today that you may accept the Savior and stop your deadly doing and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. And the Lord bless you today for his name's sake. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Bye, baby.